Hey guys, welcome back to the All Bodies Nutrition Podcast. This is your host, Eleni. And as always, I'm so grateful that you are spending this time with me here today. I'm super excited because today I have a special guest who is also an anti-diet dietitian. Her name is Christy. Um, I'm going to put all of her uh, Instagram and stuff downstairs, downstairs, down below. (laughs) Either way. (laughs) Awkward. Um, And so, yeah. So Christy, thank you so much for coming on. I'm super excited to have you. you. Me too. Yeah. Okay. So um, yeah, I, my name is Christy and I'm an anti-diet dietitian and also a certified diabetes care and education specialist. Um, and I currently work full-time at a clinic and after years of being there and becoming a diabetes educator, I just really wanted to move away from clinical diet diabetes basically, and how doctors want dietitians to manage clients with diabetes or patients with diabetes. Um, and that's kind of why I started Dietitian Christy and my whole online platform. Um, I started seeing clients one-on-one and that has grown extremely quickly. And then I'm also launching a group program in September that has also been growing very quickly. And I just saw really, really fast how much of a need there was for an anti-diet dietitian in the diabetes community. Um, and I just think it's like just so, so important. I get messages daily about, um, the lack of understanding and positivity around people when they're diagnosed with diabetes. And it just has really solidified kind of moving out of a clinical role into this like virtual role, um, that I think is really needed. Yeah, I think that's so great and so important. And for those people who have been with me for a while, they know that I used to work in clinical as well. And I obviously have dealt with my um, fair share of diabetic clients. And I think that there's just such a miss. There's so much misinformation on social media. But what's also scary is there's a lot of like poor information given from healthcare providers, whether they're mm-hmm. nurses, nurse practitioners, physicians, PAs, whatever. And I think it's difficult because when someone is newly diagnosed or this is something that they've been struggling with for like a long time, they come to their healthcare provider anticipating that they like have their best interests at heart mm-hmm. and like are giving them good advice. And I always found it so frustrating how, you know, like you and I were talking about before we started recording, like how restrictive their initial like recommendations always are in regards to food. Right. I mean, and you know, so I just put myself in the client's shoes for a minute and think like, if I went to a doctor and they said, you have diabetes, which most people who get that diagnosis have seen it in their family because it's very genetic. And so, um, I just think like, wow, I would be so scared right off the bat. Like, well, what the heck? Like, what do I need to do to manage this? I've seen it before. And then on top of this new diagnosis that is scary, they're now being told usually cut out all fruits, cut out all carbohydrates, lose weight, see you in six months. So now you have this new found burden of this chronic illness that you're probably scared of having. And then you're being told to cut out all of these things that most of us really enjoy to eat. (laughs) And so the, the patient or client leaves the office. And I mean, so many people have told me, like, I left my appointment sobbing, like I was so scared and I didn't know what the heck I was supposed to be doing because giving someone a 
a blanket of information of like cut out all carbs and lose weight is not helpful. That is not going to help anybody on top of a new diagnosis. That's probably scary for most people. And, you know, like we were talking before we started recording, I do know some really amazing doctors and endocrinologists. Um, but it's also really saddening that a lot of people that reach out to me, um, have very similar experiences. I mean, I would say like 97% of the people that reach out to me have the same experience and it's not a positive one. Yeah. Which is super upsetting. And I think it's important for the listeners to understand that, like, of course, like your healthcare provider is someone who, um, you know, you should trust. And if you feel like they aren't in line with like how you feel, meaning like you don't feel comfortable talking to them, you should never like fear going to the doctor or be worried about going to the doctor and things like that. And if your healthcare provider is like berating you or making you feel guilty or something, then I would definitely recommend finding a new healthcare provider. And I know for some people in certain parts of the country, it may be difficult. Um, and I hope that like, as like the healthcare field kind of takes more of this health for, you know, like client centered approach a little bit more seriously, because now there are a lot of studies that are supporting things that like Christy recommends and things that I recommend, um, that there will be more healthcare providers that are in line with this type of thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, understanding that, um, that weight loss is not a behavior for people to change. So, you know, like I can recommend to drink more water, you know, for a thousand reasons, but like recommending weight loss when someone isn't really in control of that is not really helpful. Um, and so I always, I mean, I'm very upfront with people that I am not a weight loss dietitian and most people that come to me want to lose weight because that's what they've been told to do. Um, and, but you know, if they can set that aside to manage their blood sugars and to start to feel better, um, those are the clients that I really want to be working with. And I want people to know that they don't need to lose weight to manage their blood sugars. I mean, and on my Instagram, I put that probably every week because it's, I think it's really important. I have seen people on a quote unquote normal BMI only because that's like a clinical term. I do not use BMI in general, but if we're talking clinically, I have seen people in a normal BMI with type two diabetes. And like you were saying, Lenny, before we started recording, like, so are those people still supposed to lose weight or, you know, like, it's just kind of weird that it's someone at a quote unquote normal BMI and someone at a, at a quote unquote overweight BMI, the overweight person is told to lose weight, but the normal BMI isn't told to lose weight, but they both might have high blood sugars, high cholesterol mm-hmm. levels, et cetera. And so, um, you know, and I, and I've seen that plenty of times people are like, Oh, are you, have you seen people at like a quote unquote normal BMI with diabetes? And I'm like, yeah, a lot. Actually, I've seen quite a few people. It's not like, you know, it's not unheard of at all. Correct. And I think the like demonization of society towards people in larger size bodies saying like, Oh, you did this to yourself kind of thing. Um, you know, someone's weight come is determined by so many different factors. And when it comes to clinical situations, such as diabetes, um, 
there are so many other things that come into play. And so when you are looking at like trying to improve your lab values, what the recommendations are for that, you know, obviously are tailored to the individual client. It depends on what's going on with them and things like that. But there's so many other things like sleep and stress and, you know, that play a huge role in uh, managing blood sugars. Cause that's really the goal with type two diabetes is to manage blood sugars and you can do so without losing weight. And we're not saying that like, you can't lose weight while implementing certain changes. It may be a byproduct of things that you're doing, but that's not the focus. And so if that's what happens while you're, you know, improving your relationship with food and managing your blood sugars better and things like that, that's fine. That's what your body wanted to do, but focusing on just losing weight, like you can lose weight by eating only cookies all day. Is that Mm going to improve your lab values? (laughs) I'm going to assume probably not, you know, blood sugars, probably not exactly. then the weight loss would probably happen, but then your blood sugars would be elevated. And that just kind of goes to show exactly what we're talking about. So let's just talk a little bit from a clinical perspective. What are the things that you look at with your clients? Because I think it's important, especially in this like more of like intuitive eating health at every size space. A lot of people assume that we don't care about health which Mm -hmm. is obviously not true. And part of the problem with social media is that there are are a lot of uncredentialed people giving recommendations when they have unfortunately no idea what they're talking about. I mean, to become a dietitian is a long process and to become a diabetes, a certified diabetes educator is a whole other thing. It's like, what is it like a thousand hours or 5,000 hours or something? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, becoming a dietitian is so, takes so much work. And then my diabetes educator exam was definitely harder than my dietitian exam. Oh, I would assume it so, was, 100%. Yeah, challenging. Um, from a clinical standpoint, um, my clients, I actually have them check their blood sugars twice a day and submit them to me. So I'm kind of seeing trends over the three months that they work with me. Um, and also in my group program, I'll be doing the same thing. And so we always talk about everything, not just nutrition. I do talk to them about their sleep. We talk about their stress levels. So stress can really increase blood sugars as well. Uh, we talk about exercise. Um, we talk about kind of like the whole person, like the whole person approach, because if you're only talking about nutrition, but then you're, you fail to talk about stress, then you're missing this whole part of why someone's blood sugars might be elevated. I remember working with a client and she had diabetes, but her blood sugars were always really well managed. And she ended up losing her husband and she came, she was started, she was checking her blood sugars and her blood sugars all of a sudden were in like the two hundreds. And she was so upset. And then that anxiety and that stress was causing them to be higher. And she was like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I haven't changed any of my eating habits. And instead of, you know, she all of a sudden started blaming herself for her high blood sugars. And it took me saying to her, like, you are grieving and you're going through this major loss and you're blaming yourself for your blood sugars to be high. There is something to be said about your blood sugars all of a sudden rising when your husband passes away. And so to ignore that people have other things going on besides like nutrition and diabetes, it is negligent, honestly, just because there's so, you know, and just like you were saying sleep also, like a lot of people I see they're, they're sleeping four hours a night and then they're up and, you know, to think that that can affect a lot of other things, but can't affect our blood sugars is untrue. You know, our blood sugars are affected even 
by something as simple as sleep. Yeah. And stress is a big part. And it's not just like, you know, a catastrophic life-changing event, like losing a family member or spouse, but school, work, Mm -hmm. financial stuff, COVID-19 with, you know, the ongoing, you know, situation. There's just so many different things that could on their own impact your blood sugar levels. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's super important to realize that a lot of people may not look at it from that perspective as far mm-hmm. as like the whole package. And I think that's where like a lot of our uh, healthcare system kind of fails to like do its job, you know, because cutting out carbs is like one of the stupidest things I've ever heard, yeah. not only because it's not <laughs> necessary, but like yeah. that's what your body needs to survive, like for your mm-hmm. body to like have energy. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, one thing that I love is that on a lot of your posts, you talk about like, Oh, if your blood sugar is high or like your hemoglobin A1C, which is like a lab value that you look at every three months, it's kind of like a three month look back period of how well your body's managing your blood sugars. And that's something that usually doctors will look at. So let's say it's higher than it was last time to like, not feel guilty and not beat yourself up over it, which Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times people do. Yeah. So I like that you focus on that and highlight that it's not something to feel bad about. No. Yeah. I talk a lot about um, like reframing your thoughts around diabetes because, you know, so like a lot of my posts will say like an unhelpful thought would be, wow, I'm so bad. I ate pizza and now my blood sugar is high. Like I suck. I hear that all the time. Like I'm so bad, quote unquote, or like, quote, I was so bad today, end quote. And I'm like, did you blow up a school? Like that would be bad. Eating pizza is not bad. Um, And so just like the intuitive eating aspect tells, tells us, you know, food has no moral value. It's not good or bad. I, preach that to my clients. I preach it on social media and the same with our blood sugars. If our blood sugars are low and I never use the word blood sugars are high. I use them like out of target or in target. Mm -hmm. Um, because you know, so if our blood sugars are out of target, that's not bad. It's just something to learn from and using it as a learning experience. And so like with my clients, I'll tell them, you know, if your blood sugars are out of target, what did you eat? were you dehydrated? Like, let's look at, did you sleep bad? Are you stressed? Let's look at like maybe why those blood sugars were a little elevated and then let's like tackle how to work with it next time. So I talk a lot about reframing your thoughts because I think always putting pressure on yourself to manage something that sometimes isn't very easy to manage, um, kind of sets you up for failure, um, and makes you just feel like crap about yourself. And I don't, and you know, when you're living with a chronic illness, I think it's important to have a healthy relationship with it. Just like it's important to have a healthy relationship with food that we're faced with every single day. It's important to have a healthy relationship with diabetes and your blood sugars and kind of give yourself grace around it. Cause it's, it's difficult to manage. Yeah, a hundred percent. I totally agree. And I think it's just a really great message to share with everyone. And so another topic that I thought would be helpful is to talk about the amount of disordered eating that you have seen both in like the clinical spectrum and then like, you know, in your private practice as well. I think that's really important to talk about. Yeah, I, um, I see probably disordered eating with almost a hundred percent of my clients, um, eating disorders. I 
don't see as many, or maybe they had an eating disorder in the past and then years have gone by and they now have a diagnosis of diabetes and their eating disorder behaviors start to creep back in. Um, so I have seen that, but most of my clients and my patients in the clinical setting definitely had disordered eating because, you know, disordered eating, I think falls in line with like making rules around food, which almost every person I see that has diabetes does that. Like, oh, I shouldn't eat after this time. Um, I can't eat carbs. I, you know, stay away from cereal, even though it's my favorite thing to eat. Um, all of those would be considered disordered eating behaviors. And I definitely see that in most of my clients, probably almost hundred percent have some kind of disordered eating and rules when I first start to see them. Yeah. And it's, so difficult because there's so much like mixed messages like on in the media in general like oh a study just came out saying that if you eat gluten like you're 25 million times more likely to get type 2 diabetes like all this nonsense um and then you have people like like I was saying the the uncertified people on social media telling you that it's you know silly to eat only pretzels as a snack and I like how you show like the comparisons of like how to help balance out like a snack that will promote more balanced blood sugars and Mm -hmm. doing it in a way that's like not restrictive because Mm -hmm. I think coming from a place of restriction, not only is like it increasing your fear around the food or meal or whatever, but it's going to probably raise your blood sugar if you're constantly Mm -hmm. worried and like avoiding eating foods and stressing about it. Yeah. Or then when you do eat it, you're going to eat so much of it. It's going to raise your blood sugars anyways. So, I mean, all of my clients and everyone on social media can probably confess that I never tell people to cut anything out. Like if I have a client that tells me like, I love Cheez-Its. I'm like, okay, yeah. Cheez-Its are not a high fiber snack, you know? So let's think about how we can make those a little bit more balanced. How, what can you add to Cheez-Its that's going to make it more balanced for your blood sugar. So it's never like, no, don't eat Cheez-Its. I would never say that to somebody more. So I, I try and engage them in how they can make it more balanced. Um, and I think it's important to do that because there's foods that we all like to eat. And I would be really irritated if someone told me, Hey, you can't eat this anymore. I'd be like, well, why not? And I, (laughs) I would just think that that's so frustrating. It would make me want it more. And so putting myself in the client's seat for a Like, how would I want someone to talk to me? I would want them to tell me like, you can still eat that. Let's just make it more balanced for your blood sugars. So that way your blood sugars aren't spiking. That's old. That's the ultimate goal. Yeah. And I think that's important that the concept is balancing out your blood sugar through like adding in fats or protein and things like that with like the snack or the meal. Um, and not just like eliminating carbs, which is like what people automatically think. Mm-hmm. And another important point, I think, is that like each person is different when it comes to how their body responds to certain foods. So I think it's really cool that you like monitor your client's blood sugars daily, you know, twice a day. And for them to take the initiative to see like, hey, how does this food impact my blood sugar? Okay, it spiked a little bit. Maybe what can and then like, what can we do next time and give them the tools that they need to like, make these choices? Because ultimately, like, yes, you can. uh, There's up up until a point you can, you know, normalize your lab values. But like, once they're normalized, you should still employ those behaviors. 
exactly. They wouldn't just go away. Yeah. Um, I actually had a client that I saw yesterday and, um, she, she, I've been working with her for a couple of months. So she knows better than to say like, oh, I was bad. Cause like, I don't let people say that in our sessions. I'm like, well, let's reframe that. Like instead yeah. of saying bad, what else could you say? So she told me, you know, I went to a birthday party and I had pizza and there was no like salad or anything I could have on the side. Like it was only pizza. And she goes, I ate the pizza and checked my blood sugars two hours later and it was elevated. And I knew it was going to be elevated because she didn't balance that meal out. And I was so proud of her for being able to recognize that. Like, Cause it, you know, if you're at a birthday party and there's nothing else available, you're just going to eat the pizza and you're going to know like, okay, that wasn't super balanced. It's going to be elevated. So I asked her like, okay, if you were to have pizza at home, what would you have done to make that more balanced? She goes, oh, well, I would have had like one or two slices of pizza and like a large side salad because I love salad. And I always add that to my meals. And I'm like, perfect. And your blood sugar likely wouldn't have spiked as much, but just having that awareness, like that's the point of checking your blood sugars is that you can look back and be like, what would I have done with that? meal to make it a little bit more balanced. I wouldn't have, I would never tell her like, don't eat pizza, cut it out. But to have that awareness of like, I'm going to eat pizza next time, but I'm going to add this to it to make it more balanced. And I was so proud of her for being able to recognize that and not beating yourself up. Just like, this is what I'm going to do next time. And also knowing that there's some situations like a birthday party that you might not have as much control over. And that's okay. That your blood sugar spiked again, it's that awareness of why it spiked and just being intuitive on, you know, on your end on what you could do. Yeah, I think that's so important. So I just wanted to reiterate one more time that like, just because someone is like an anti diet dietitian or a weight inclusive dietitian, and we're not focusing on weight loss, or weight management, it doesn't mean that like you can't prioritize your health, I would argue that this method, this way of really teaching someone how to deal with this chronic disease for the rest of their life in a way that is manageable and realistic for them is much more healthy than, you know, going on keto or like an, a low carb mm-hmm. diet. And even though like initially you would s- maybe see improvements in lab values, how long are you going to maintain that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I actually think that anti-diet dietitians um, and health at every size dietitians care more about your health than the ones that are because when you're not just focused on weight loss, you're focusing on all those other factors I was naming earlier. You're focused on sleep. You're focused on um, hydration. You're focused on stress and not just nutrition and what someone's eating. Um, So say, you know, say someone comes to see me and they've lost weight Um, but they're going through like a grief process because they just lost someone or maybe they lost their job. It's like, would I say that that person is healthy, you know, because they've Mm -hmm. lost when like emotionally they're struggling and they're having a hard time. Like, so I think it's important that, you know, yeah, we're all, I think as anti-diet dietitians in the anti-diet like community, I think we're always going to get that, that we don't care about health, but I literally care so much about health of my clients that I have them checking their blood sugars twice a day so I can see trends and help them on how to manage those trends throughout the three months that they're with me. And I think that's a lot more than a check-in with me, like, Hey, weigh yourself. Okay. Did you lose weight? No. Okay. See you in two weeks. We'll check again. You know, like that's just so silly. Yeah. And it just goes against my morals. And that's a huge reason why I'm looking to leave my current clinical job, because that's what they want us to do is like check the patient's weight, 
and, you know, whether it's up or down or whatever. And I do counsel them as well, but there's a huge emphasis on weight loss that is really challenging to go against when I'm working in the same building as doctors that are recommending it. Yeah. And doctors only get like an hour of nutrition in medical school. Like that's not their expertise. Um, And so I think it's important for people to remember that. So there are doctors now that like I'm referred patients from and, you know, they're like, yeah, the doctor said I shouldn't eat any carbs. I shouldn't have any fruit. And I'm like, carbohydrate rich foods, like fruits, starchier vegetables, grains, all contain so many nutrients that are so good for you. And like, you're missing out on all of the antioxidants and the phytonutrients and things like that and cutting them out and just eating like chicken and lettuce or going keto and eating like whole avocados with like five eggs and bacon. Like Mm -hmm. you're cutting out such, like, I would argue that's one of, I mean, each food group provides an important part of like your diet, but you know, there's still so many things about like fruits and vegetables and the role of antioxidants and things like that, that we don't fully understand. And so when someone's cutting it out, I mean, I'm not saying like, if you don't like strawberries that you should eat strawberries, but like, you know, cutting out mango or bananas, like I know bananas was like a big thing for people. Um, oatmeal was like a big thing for people that they just like avoid. And they're like, well, I'm eating two hard boiled eggs and a string cheese for breakfast. Like, yeah, no wonder you're starving. Like yeah, grumpy. <laughs> yeah. There's not enough food. And so, um, a lot of this, like managing of blood sugars kind of falls in line with PCOS polycystic ovary syndrome, which is what I have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I monitor a lot of similar lab values, not my blood sugars, but like I do take a look at my hemoglobin A1C and my insulin and things like that, because, mm-hmm. you know, it's part of what I have. And so my clients that also have PCOS, a lot of these things are like similarly recommended to, yeah. for, you know, higher fiber, balancing out your snacks and your meals and things like that. So I think it's really cool that there are a lot more healthcare providers and dietitians that are kind of focusing more on a non-diet approach. And I think, you know, like you said, a hundred percent of your clients that you've basically seen have some level of disordered eating, which Mm -hmm. is really, really sad. Um, and you know, it could get to a point where they develop a full on eating disorder, like binge eating disorder. Absolutely. Um, And I mean, a lot of my clients, you know, and maybe they don't have like a diagnosis of binge eating disorder, but they'll tell me like, well, my doctor told me to cut out carbohydrates and I find myself like late at night eating chips, like so many, like a bag Mm -hmm. of chips. I'm just like so hungry for them. And so, you know, although they don't have like that diagnosis, like in my head, I'm like, wow, that's, you know, very disordered. Like, so now you're eliminating carbs all throughout the day. And then at night you're craving them and you're starving for them. And so, you know, then their blood sugars are going to be elevated anyways. And then when they go back to see the doctor, they're kind of scared to tell the truth, you know, like, um, and we were talking about like cutting out carbs, like, um, you know, yeah, carbs are our body's number one source of fuel. And so our bodies will make glucose. If we aren't eating glucose, our bodies will make it. That's how much our bodies want it. Is everybody listening? Like we have an organ in our body that literally makes something that functions as glucose. 
Yes. That's what all of our cells need to function. Mm -hmm. Yes. So if right now, if I cut out carbohydrates, yeah, I have enough carbohydrates in my body to kind of sustain me for a little bit, but then my body would start making the glucose for my cells because my cells would want it so much, which can cause a high blood sugar anyways. And so, you know, if we're not eating the carbs to get the glucose, our bodies are going to make the glucose. And then it's a little bit less out of our control because our bodies are now trying to survive. And so, yeah, when I tell people that they're usually like, what? Oh, I didn't know that. Like, no, of course you didn't. Cause your doctor is not going to tell you that part. Like they're not going to yeah. spend the time to go into that, but biologically that's, what's going to happen in our bodies if we cut out carbs anyways. And so our bodies are just to, in order to survive. Our bodies are really smart and they know what <laughs> to do and their its main function is to like, keep us alive and working to the highest capacity that it can. And when you're depleting it of vital nutrients, whether or not whatever size body you are in, your body's going to try to compensate for it. So just like when someone goes low carb for the purpose of weight loss, whether or not they're a diabetic, your body doesn't just pref like say, okay, well, this person has a lot of adipose storage on them, a lot of fat storage. So I'm just going to take the fat from their stomach and make yeah. it into energy. Like it doesn't work like that. Like your body can also turn your muscle into fuel, which is, it's an easier process to do that than for fat, uh, you know, to catabolize fat and utilize that for fuel. So, you know, if you're not taking in enough carbs, you're not going to be able to maintain your muscle mass, especially if you're working out, your muscles need carbohydrates after your workout to replenish Mm -hmm. their glycogen stores so that your muscles can heal. You don't just need protein to, you know, heal and grow your muscles. Yeah. And I think, you know, I had a lot of clients and patients come to me and like, they're kind of following like a low carb diet. And like something that I noticed if they do it for a little while is then like, Sometimes their blood sugars might come down a little bit, but then their cholesterol levels are sky high. And I'm like, well, right. Like, so you're not eating oatmeal, but you're eating bacon three times a day. Like, like, and and even like all of us, you don't even have to have a a background in nutrition to know, like that doesn't seem right. Like something about that, right? Like I can't eat oatmeal, but I can eat bacon all day as many times as I want. And so I've, I've seen a lot of clients that, um, they start the keto process or like a low carb process and like their cholesterol levels are within normal limits. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden their cholesterol levels are in the five hundreds. And I'm like, now your arteries are like clogging, you know, like there, you have to find that balance, but it's really hard. Keto is huge right now. And there, I mean, you know, if I post anything about like eating carbs, I get so many people in my DMs and, you know, commenting like keto is the way to go and like keto for life. And I'm like, okay, you know, you know, I have a lot of schooling behind me and I have a lot of knowledge behind me and so do dietitians in general. And so I'm here to tell you that that's not, it's not the end all be all. And my favorite part. So there's two things I wanted to say. Number one is that individuals who like do these diets. So like, let's say keto, right. You can lose weight and also worsen your lab values. Mm-hmm. So like 100%. you can lose weight and increase your cholesterol, which I would rather someone maintain their weight and have a normal cholesterol level yeah. 
yeah, or triglycerides exactly. or, you know, whatever it may be. And mm-hmm. so by society's definition of like being healthy, like, oh, but I'm losing weight. So that's a good thing. But like, if you're clogging your arteries, right, <laughs> not a good thing and have, you know, so I think people, their perception of what's the epitome of health is just very skewed. And it takes a long time for people to reframe their thoughts. And sometimes it takes years for people to reframe their thoughts. Um, And then the second thing that I wanted to say about the keto thing, and I obviously see a lot about it as well, is that most people are not doing keto properly. (laughs) They're just eating a high fat, low carb diet. Like Mm -hmm. you're not supposed to have high protein on keto. You're supposed to have relatively like moderate to lowish, um, amounts. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I, um, I actually have a niece who has epilepsy and that's what keto was made for. Correct. It was made for children with epilepsy. And she, this was years ago. She's 14 now, but she was six at the time that this dietitian recommended keto and it worked super well for her seizures, super, super well. Yeah. And her seizures really well maintained. And so like, I saw it from a clinical standpoint of like, wow, this is really helping her seizures. But then like this whole other point of me that seeing this with my clients who don't have diabetes, who are trying it and, or sorry, not diabetes, who don't have epilepsy, but they're trying it to manage diabetes. I am not seeing those results in those clients. Like I am not, I'm not like, wow, keto's work. If I thought keto worked for people, I would recommend it. Like if I genuinely thought like this is going to manage your diabetes, like, of Mm -hmm. course I would recommend it. Like, why wouldn't I recommend that for people, you know? Um, And if I thought keto worked long-term, that's another thing is keto short term for a minute, Um, but long-term the success rates for keto long-term are very, very slim. And I think most, most dietitians can account, you know, even dietitians who kind of like the low carb, lifestyle or they recommended. I think that a lot of people can say that long-term it ha- it's not very sustainable for people. Yeah. And I think like in general, the trajectory of most fad diets is that they don't work long-term. Like mm-hmm. when you look at studies 10, 20 years later, where is this person now? You know, Mm -hmm. and I think that's why it's so hard when people like are looking for the magical fix of like managing their blood sugars or losing weight is that they think that it's like, oh, it's well, I'm just going to do this. But it's like, does it fit your lifestyle? How does it make you feel? Are you feeling deprived? You know, things like that. And most 99% of diets are going to recommend things that are just not sustainable for people. So what's the point of wasting your time and energy on something or meal plan or counting calories or counting carbs or whatever. Um, it's just not realistic. And so if you're constantly falling off or, you know, you're someone who is struggling with managing your blood sugar levels, you know, going on another diet is not going to help you. No. And, um, yeah. And you know, that's why, like, I mean, and I'm sure you get this too, is like, can you make me a meal plan? I get that probably eight times a day. And I always tell people no, because I would rather work with what you're already doing. Just like the whole cheat it situation. Like, am I going to put, like, if I were to make a quote unquote meal plan, would I put cheese it on the meal plan? Probably not, you know, like, but if, 
if I'm working with someone and they like Cheez-Its, then I'm going to work with them on that snack or how to incorporate that snack. So, I mean, yeah, I don't do meal plans because that's not going to be helpful for people. And it's something they can follow short term. Um, and also, you know, diabetes is progressive and it's forever, you know, um, you cannot reverse diabetes. Um, you know, you can get your lab values within normal limits, which is always the goal. Mm -hmm. But when you have diabetes, you have it forever. And it is progressive. So what I mean by that is you can do everything, quote unquote, right, you know, that, you know, you could manage it really well, then all of a sudden, maybe you'll need medication to manage it. And that doesn't mean you're a failure. It means that this is a progressive disease. It does get worse as we get older. It doesn't mean that has to get super bad. That's not really, you know, I don't want to put like a negative spin on it, but you know, realistically, you know, as if we're diagnosed with diabetes at 40, by the time we're 60 or 65, we likely might need metformin or some kind of medication to manage it. Not because we have failed, but because our bodies, you know, can only keep up with that for so long before it just can't keep up with it the way it's supposed to. And so I think finding a way to live with it and manage it for the long term, not thinking like, wow, how can I manage my blood sugars right now? But how can I live to manage my blood sugars forever? Because I'm going to have this forever and it could possibly get worse. And and if you're, if if your blood sugars do start to become out of target and knowing how to get them back in target over the years is really important. It's important to any chronic illness, any chronic disease, knowing that it's going to be long-term and how am I going to manage that long-term, not just right here, right now. Yeah. Everyone is always looking for a quick fix and people just think that there's just like a simple you know, one way and that's it, or that they should just take medication and not do anything else, which a lot of doctors do as well, which you need to balance. If you need medication, you need medication. If you, you know, balance out your blood sugar and then they need to lower your medication, that's fine. But having a way to manage it from all aspects, I think is, is a super important point to make. So I love that, that you said that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, I'm all for medication. If it's, if it's needed. I mean, I have a lot of clients that I've worked with where their blood sugars just really can't, they can't get them within target. And so, you know, I am an advocate for medication when it's necessary. And when I know that that client is trying and doing, you know, implementing the things that we talk about, I never think that someone is a failure because they have to be on medication. But at the same time, I think sometimes medication is very kind of like, oh, here, take this. And it'll fix it. Yeah. And, you know, I have a client that I'm working with right now and she wasn't checking her blood sugars for months. And so she started working with me and I'm like, Hey, this is part of my program. You, you have to check your blood sugars. Yeah. So she started checking them and they were elevated and she was super scared. And I was like, you have to make an appointment with your doctor. He's likely going to put you on metformin, but doesn't mean you're on it forever. Like you're working with me, but take the metformin and let's see how we can work with the metformin and your nutrition and exercise and everything else we're working on. And so, you know, she's, so that's exactly what happened. He put her on metformin, wanted to put her on another medication. And I'm glad she told him, no, she was like, well, can I, you know, I'm seeing a dietitian and now I'm going to be on metformin. So can we just like hold off? And he was open to that and her blood sugars have come down tremendously. And so maybe she'll continue to be on metformin. Maybe she won't be after I'm, after we're done working together. But at the end of the day, the metformin plus her lifestyle changes have really helped her blood sugars and she has not lost any weight. And so it, it's not a weight loss thing, you yeah. know, it's 
she lost weight and those numbers have come down. Like she knows I'm not focused on her weight and she tells me that she hasn't lost weight, but now her blood sugars, her morning blood sugars were in like the two hundreds. And the other day she told me it was like 123 or something like that. So without weight loss and with really small amount of medication, but a lot of lifestyle changes, she's brought her numbers down tremendously. That's amazing. I think it's so great. And, you know, when people are like talking about like the obesity epidemic and now 500 bazillion people have type two diabetes because everyone is just eating fast food. It's just like, I, I feel like the issue is really the diet industry is when we're seeing people dieting from such, from such a young age and it's really impacting their metabolic, you know, their body's metabolism and things like that. So if you are predisposed to having diabetes and you're, let's say, you know, growing up, you were struggling with your weight and your parents put you on diets and you're losing and gaining weight and going up and down, it could totally signify for that gene to turn on and you know, all Mm -hmm. of a sudden your blood sugars are out of range and now you have a type two diabetes diagnosis. I don't think people necessarily consider it in that way, but, um, it's important to remember, I think. Yeah. And a lot of the clients that reach out to me, you know, tell me that they have been on diet since they were 12. I was talking to this lady, she's not a client, but she wrote me on Instagram and she was like, my mom put me on Weight Watchers when I was 12. And she was like, I remember being 12 at the grocery store counting points and like my heart just broke for like her inner child. Like I like that. That's not right. Like a 12 year old girl is going through puberty. Body is changing. She needs more calories anyways, because her body is changing. And we all went through that awkward, all, all women and men go through like that really awkward age, you know, but to think that like, to think of a mom putting a 12 year old on weight watchers, which I know happens all the time. I yeah, know I that. was on Weight Watchers when I was 13. So like, so um, that right. <laughs> yeah. And back then, you know, we didn't have apps back then. Um, I'm 30 now. So this was like, you know, a while ago, but they had like a, it was like a, like a chart thing with like a sliding piece of yeah. like, yeah. Thing, and it would tell you like how many points it would be like whatever. And it was crazy because the higher fiber foods were more points. Yeah. Fiber was one of the things. And I was like, I mean, you know, in hindsight, looking back, I'm like higher fiber foods should be included more in, you know, in the diet for satiety levels, for balancing out blood sugar, for gut health, things like that. Mm -hmm. And I would avoid higher point foods. So I would eat, you know, like oatmeal was like a no, no, like I didn't start eating oatmeal until, you know, I was in my 20, like mid twenties, but you know, it's just, it's so crazy. And I think like the impact that diet culture has in dieting from such a young age really is going to show like in long-term how it's messing with our actual health. And our metabolism, like you mentioned, like, you know, a lot of people, so it's like, like, think of that in a, in a, in like, so my client or my, the person that reached out to me on Instagram is telling me that she started Weight Watchers at 12. She has diabetes now. And it's like, metabolically what happened in that time span like obviously metabolism is like so like what the heck am I supposed to be doing like I'm I was restricting at a young age when like our bodies are changing a lot and require a lot more calories and now she's I don't know know how old she is now but now she has diabetes and it's like there has to be there's something that has to be said about our metabolism over that time and 
restrict at a young age and then that up and down because if you're restricting at 12 then you're probably then as you get older you're restricting on your own you know you're a teenager at 17 feeling like you need to restrict and then you're you're a young adult at 20 thinking you need to restrict and our bodies like you were saying try and keep us alive like they they don't know that you're trying to lose weight or that you're cutting back food they just think our bodies are just smart and they think like oh I need to do something about this yeah Mm -hmm. I think it's very interesting and it's important to continue these types of conversations in regards like to in a clinical space and wellness space in general and you know it's not always cut and dry and what healthy is for one person may not be healthy for the next person and that's why you know individualized care by someone who is credentialed to do so is so important because there's so many things that come into play especially when you're talking about medication and things like that making sure they're eating enough and that they're getting enough carbs because you know when you're taking nutrition advice from someone who doesn't know what they're talking about and you're like, Oh, well, the person just put me on that form. And then they're like, okay, well you're on low carb and you, your blood sugars could go down and you can Mm -hmm. get very ill and pass out and, you know, things like that. So, you know, I think that talking about this topic is helpful for people to understand, not just diabetics, Mm-hmm. you know, people in general, cause there's just so much misinformation. So if you don't have diabetes and you're listening to this, you may know someone else who has diabetes or a family member or friends or something. Um, and so we'd love if you would share this episode with them as well. Um, mm-hmm. any final thoughts that you just want to tell everyone before we sign um, off? I think when you were talking, I just kind of want people to know that they can advocate for themselves. And I know that that can be really hard when you're, you know, at the doctor's office and they're telling you to take a medication or they're telling you, you know, to cut something out. I think it's important to question them, um, ask for a referral to a dietitian, ask for a referral out. Um, most insurances will cover a dietitian up to a certain amount or a couple of visits. If you have diabetes, it definitely is covered under Medicare, Medicaid, and under most private insurances. Um, so always, you know, try and find it in yourself to advocate for yourself when you need to, because if you don't understand why you're being put on something on a medication, if you don't understand why they're telling you to cut carbs out, definitely question them. And if you're still confused, ask for a referral. So that way you can talk to someone and you feel confident in what you're doing. Yeah. I think that's so important. Thank you for sharing that. Well, thank you for coming on Christy. It was such a it was so great to talk about this topic and just get your insight and things like that. And, and all of her information will be in the description box below. So thank you guys so much for spending this time with us and I will see you next week. Thank you.